Say my name, say my name. No one is around you. Say, baby, I love you. You ain't running games. Say my name, say my name. You acting kind of shady. Ain't calling me baby. Why the sudden change? Welcome. Just lubing up to <laughs> the 1200th season of the Broners podcast. Rachel and I have been recording for 55 minutes now. <laughs> Want you guys to fucking appreciate how much effort has gone into making this work. This episode's probably not even going to be worth it. It's probably not even going to be great. We're going to talk it, about. Nonsense. If this is not the intro, if this is not the real intro you use, I'm not doing it. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> so this is Rachel Sobel. Is that how you say it? Yes, I've thank you. Because some people try and make it fancy, and they're like Sobel, and I'm like, no, it's Sobel. It's a it's, Jewish last name. It's just Sobel. Sobel. Okay. Well, we're here, guys. We made it. It's 2021. New Year, same shit. My dog's crying outside the door because she can't bear to be separated from me for more than five fucking seconds. Rachel, I know you can relate. Oh, yeah. You I mean, my two. Yeah, my two are now sleeping in my older daughter's room, and we'll see how long that lasts. So, first of all, Rachel, tell us who you are. If you guys aren't following at Wine and Cheese It's, on Instagram, I need you guys to get it together and make that happen immediately because she's hilarious and if you're not following her and you're a parent, I I I feel bad for you honestly. <laughs> I am Rachel Sobel. I am a writer and speaker and author and I'm focused on parenting and marriage and life and all the stuff that comes along with it, but I like always like to say I provide a very unfiltered, real and honest view into all of those things instead of like the sugar-coated canned stuff you see on other areas. And that's why we love her because she's real as fuck. She will tell you how it is. She don't give no fuck. There's no, listen, when you're a mother, you don't, you have very few left to give because your children take all of them. So you've got to work with what you have. And sometimes it's nothing. And that's how we feel as nurses sometimes. Right? It's really similar. I didn't think about that. It really is. You give and give and give until you cannot give a single fuck more. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm at right now, currently during this pandemic, as I'm sure a lot of my fellow nurses and healthcare providers, period, are feeling. Um, but we're here today to just talk to you about the patient slash healthcare professional dynamic, what we can do to be better nurses and better providers to our patients and what our patients can do to be better patients. It's, it, does, it is a two-way street. I mean, it, it takes is. takes two to tango. Yeah. Okay? And there, you know, a good nurse or a bad nurse can make or break your experience just like a bad patient or a good patient can make or break your day. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's all I have to say. So, Rachel, I, I remember a while back you had a pretty shitty ER experience when you had a kidney stone. Hashtag never forget. Really? I didn't. I totally forgot. I don't yeah, even know. It's, it's fine. My experience was so great. I, it's fine. Um, so tell us a little bit about this experience. I know there's, there's good experiences and bad experiences, and people don't go to the hospital because they're feeling well, typically. Right. Unless they're there because they want dilated, and then in that case, they're fine and they just want drugs. But it's fine. Um, I digress. It's fine. It's fine. Um, you weren't there because you're that person. You were 
you were down. I was I was hurting. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. And and it was really bad. I mean, I'll give like the abridged version, but basically I've had kidney stones on and off um, the past several years of my life. And this particular episode was worse than anything I've ever experienced pain-wise in my life. And I've had two children, um, which is not fun either, no matter how many drugs you have. And so... <laughs> Um, it, it was so bad from the pain perspective, but also from the minute we got to the ER, uh, it was just, I think it was, you know, I know ERs are crowded and it's craziness and it's chaos and that's the baseline, but every contact I had with the first couple of nurses that helped were, were there to help us, it was just an abysmal experience. And I just was partially left my body because I was in so much pain and I was letting my husband <laughs> deal with it, but it was from waiting in the triage area, not even triage, we weren't in a room, waiting in the hallway um, for almost 11 hours, like puking in a bucket because I was so sick and the nurse getting annoyed with my husband for asking for a bucket for me to throw up in so I didn't have to like do it all over myself, to having people just keep pumping me full of pain meds. And I'm not, I mean, you know me in real life and I'm not really a large person who can handle um, pain meds like every hour like over and over and over again and so I was so sick from the pain meds on top of the kidney stone and nothing was really working and there just wasn't a lot of compassion um, but really it came to a head when I finally got into a room and they still hadn't decided what to do with me yet and it was over 48 hours before a um, now I'm blanking on what is it what is the doctor that was supposed to see me not a nephrologist nephrologist right yeah Okay. Um, apparently they have 24 hours to get to you and nobody had put anything, any order in for someone to come and see me. So it was like well, well past that amount of time before I finally saw anyone other than a nurse. And I left my body again and was on my hands and knees screaming, screaming. My husband said he was petrified because I couldn't even, I wanted to crawl out of my own skin. And that was when a male nurse who I hadn't had before came in and looked at me and was like, I can't give you any more pain meds. And I was like, I don't want any more pain meds. I want whatever the next step is, surgery, emergencies. I don't know, just something else. Like I don't, yeah, I don't want any more pain meds. Trust me, I don't want them. And um, he got very nasty and threw his arms up in the air and was like, well, I can't help you anymore. And my husband and I were like, did that just happen? Because in my mind, like you said, it is, I'm sure being a nurse comes with a very, very heavy mental and physical load. And I love nurses because it is a job that I would never in my life be able to be strong enough to do, and I admit that. But I also feel that when you take on a job like that, you kind of take on the responsibility of dealing with very very vulnerable patients who maybe don't understand what's going on from a medical perspective, emotionally they're a mess, and so it is kind of your job to put people at ease within reason. We weren't getting any of that. It was just, it was so bad we had to call in hospital administrators um, to deal with it and switch nurses and all that stuff. And I am not a complicated person to get along with. I'm pretty easy and I'm, I'm not an alarmist, but it was one of the worst hospital experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, they did make up for it though, by giving me a, a card for a free meal at the cafeteria in the hospital. So, you know, we're good now. Everything's fine. It's like when, <laughs> it's like when there's a pandemic going on and your ratios suck and you're overworked and you're tired and nothing is right and everything's fucked up, but here's some pizza. It's basically right. the same thing. Right. And, you know, listen, here's the thing. As a patient and, and my husband being there, we weren't asking for anything. We weren't being demanding and being like, we want a private room with a view. And I mean, we were we were pretty 
Um, I just wanted a bucket to throw up in and you to hand it to me with a smile and tell me it was going to be okay. And I just wanted no more pain meds. And I, I mean, everyone was just so, by the time someone got to me who knew what they were doing, I think even they were horrified over like the, the 24 to 48 hours that had led up to that because it just felt like even in a crowded ER, that's what you're used to, the hustle and bustle. That is like what you do. People who work in an ER are amazing. They have this like superhuman power to handle crisis and that's why you're there. And so it felt broken. It felt like something wasn't working. And I do know that one of the nurses from that whole experience, not necessarily because of me, she had a history of just showing lack of compassion to patients. I believe she was let go after that incident because I wrote a letter to the CEO and I think there was a whole file against her. And the other nurse got transferred to a different area um, because it just, you know, I think as a nurse, as hard as your day is, us as patients are so scared and so vulnerable. And like you said, we're not at the hospital because we're there for a good time. We're there because we're sick or right. something's wrong. And so, you know, you just want like a, someone who even no matter how annoyed they are, someone to just be a little bit more empathetic with you um, to make you feel at ease because it's very scary when you're not in control and you're having to rely on doctors and nurses and administrators and all that. Right. And not even just, you know, even if you have to fake it, even if you're completely burnt out and you hate your fucking job and there's some traveler that's making five times what you're making do the exact same job at your workplace, just pretend. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Fake it. Like, yeah. I, listen, you, you I'm sure your whole life, no matter what job you've had from the time you were a teenager to now, you've had shitty days and it's OK for that to happen. We're all human. But in my mind, if I was working in a patient facing, a client facing, whatever it was that I was doing, I would like walk myself into a bathroom stall, cry it out, you know, purge a little bit that that emotional, you know, yuckiness that you have, and then just fake it till you make it just to get through it instead of putting that on a patient who has already reached their mental limit and is scared out of there. I mean, I was scared. I had two babies at home. I didn't know if I was going to need surgery or not. I'd never had surgery for kidney stones because it had never escalated to that level. But I'll tell you that when I posted that whole experience, and you commented, when you commented as a nurse, and I read the things you were saying, how it wasn't okay, and all the things that I detailed were not what a patient should experience, you know, at the hands of any medical professional, I felt more validated because you weren't just someone I knew, you were someone in that profession telling me, no, 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 Rachel, it's not cool that they did any of that. And so it made me feel a little bit less crazy. Right. And I think when you're in that vulnerable position, whether it's the pain meds or just the hustle and bustle of the hospital, you feel a little bit crazy. So it was nice to have that validation from someone living in the nurse trenches, making me feel like I wasn't like a shitty human for complaining, you know? Right. And, and there, and look, it's not sunshine and roses. Like we're, especially now in the pandemic, like shit's fucked up. It's, it's, it's not good. None of it's good. I have to tell you, I, I haven't had like a day where I come home and I'm like, you know what? And it wasn't that bad. It's like, no, every day fucking sucks. And it is what it is. But even pre-pandemic, I mean, your experience was long before the pandemic ever started. I mean, mm -hmm. um, but I remember just even the stuff that you were saying was happening. I was like, no, 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 no. See, like, I work in an ER and I've worked in the ER for over six years. So, like, I know what is supposed to happen, like, standard of care-wise. And just even if, you know, shit's crazy, you, you know, what you can still handle and what should still be being done. And your experience was like the fucking worst. And I was like, absolutely not. Whatever, all that, no. Because I'm a nurse and I know how I treat people and that ain't it. So even when I'm having a bad day. All right.
the deep breaths you're taking. Oh is... my god, this is what I do at work. You have no idea. I literally like walk the halls and just sigh constantly, and and some random human from a corner of like CT or something will be like, I feel that this has probably been the longest recording ever in history of this but I'm podcast. Happy. I'm happy about it. I'm happy to be spending time with you. I am too. I'm not mad about it. I'm not <laughs> mad at all. Um, I'm sorry for those of you that have had to suffer through the first like several minutes of that hearing, hearing me not once, but twice. That's gotta be awful. Um, but here we are. So we were just talking about Rachel's horrendous experience in the hospital. Horrendous. Um, we were talking about, you know, the, the ER specifically is not sunshine and roses. Like no one expects it to be. And I think, I think what happens sometimes is that there is an unrealistic expectation on the patient end Mm -hmm. of what their experience is supposed to be. Um, I'm glad you shared your experience because that was not what it was supposed to be. Even when you're unwell and everything is blowing up around you and you're like the Joker that's walking out of the emergency room while it's exploding meme. Right. It's fine. That's how it is sometimes. But we deal. We overcome. We, you know, make it work. We make it happen. And we do what's right for our patients at the end of the day. And what happened to Rachel was not that experience, like, at all. It was horrible. And, um, you know, so we're just chatting about how our patients can be better patients, how we as nurses, doctors, PAs, MPs, everyone can just be a better provider at the end of the day. Um, And I think, I, I say this all the time, and I really think it stems from just education and setting the right expectations, setting the tone from the beginning of the visit. Like, even if you're walking in and you're, like, puking in a bucket because you have a kidney stone and you are, like, quite literally dying, um, anyone that's seen a kidney stone knows. Like, you look at someone and you're like, oh, they have a kidney stone. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just the worst. Like, puking and the diaphoresis and the pain and everything. And I'm the kind of person when someone is in so much pain like that, like, it's, it's hard to watch because I, like, feel that shit. Like, mm-hmm. I feel almost physically sick for someone when I see them in so much pain. I'm like, God, that has to be so – like, that's how I feel about ortho injuries. Like, when someone has a bone sticking out, I'm like, God damn, that has to <laughs> fucking hurt. Like, oof. Like, that is – I can watch you bleed out and die as long as you're not feeling any pain. Yeah. But when I have to feel someone feeling pain, I'm like, I just can't do this. This is horrible. Well, like, and there was a stark difference. Like there were, you know, I hate to make it sound like everyone there, you know, was awful because it certainly wasn't the case. However, when I had the experiences with you know, the first nurse who literally looked at my husband sideways when he, and my husband is the most like docile, nicest, gentle man. He's not like a, an aggressive alpha male. And so when he asked the nurse for a bucket for his wife to throw up and she got visibly annoyed. And then I saw him get like annoyed because he just wanted to help me. That to me, I was like, all right, well, she's stressed. She's probably stressed out, but it's still not okay because I'm laying here in the hallway on a stretcher, gurney, whatever you call it now. I don't even know what it's called now. Um, For so many hours, it doesn't even seem normal. However, once I get into a triage room, I have these nurses who are like angels who are incredible and just by my side and asking what they can do and trying to get me answers and trying to speed up the process. And so when you're the patient in the thick of it and you have that paradox of like the good nurse and the evil nurse and you're like, am I crazy? Am I doing something wrong? Like what's, I think you really have to communicate. And I know that in an ER, 
or any part of the hospital, I imagine as a nurse, there's a lot of answers you can't give. Like there's just too many unknowns and things you can't communicate to a patient. But I think as long as people are honest about that to a patient who's laying there writhing in pain, like, listen, I, I can't, I wish I could help you faster. I'm doing what I can. I promise you we're on this. And like giving that validation that, that something is happening to try and move things along, even that helps versus just the, you know, walking by, not even giving any kind of update and, and just leaving you sitting there waiting, wondering what is going to happen to you. It's scary. And as a mother, it's scary. When I think about my kids in those, you know, we've only been to the ER a couple of times because my little one is a beast and she likes to like jump off things and she's crazy. And so we had staples <laughs> like four days after we got a brand new pool put in and it was like harrowing. But as a parent too, on that side of it, when you are vulnerable and you have your babies with you and you're in ER and all that stuff, you just want a nurse and a physician who's going to have some level of compassion. That's all. That's all you want as a parent. Like, honestly, that's all you want is a little bit of compassion. Yeah. And I get that. I, I try to tell people all the time, like, it's sometimes if you don't have the answers, like this was even back to, I worked at Publix when I was like 14 years old. Like as soon as I could get a job, I did. And it goes back to even just like when someone asks you in the grocery store, like, hey, do you know where the shampoo is? Instead of being like, I don't know, be like, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Right. You know, like right. you don't have to have all the answers. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And I tell patients all the time, like straight up, either they'll ask me things that I don't know the answer to because I unfortunately am not a future teller. I wish I was, but I'm not. And it'll be like, how long for X, Y, Z? I can say typically this is how long it takes. Mm -hmm. It could be longer. It could be shorter. But this is usually, you know, like if you're going to get a CT scan, expect to be here for three hours. Like that's what's mm -hmm. going to happen. And a lot of the times patients will like roll their eyes like, oh, you know, like I have somewhere to be. Rule number one, if you're listening Where and you're you non-medical, <laughs> if, you, if you've got somewhere to fucking be, you don't belong in the emergency room. I'll tell right. you that right now. Right. And if you come to the ER with some sort of time constraints and you're like, um, how long is this going to be? Because I have to be out of here by two o'clock. I can guarantee you your nurse already fucking hates you mm -hmm. like you don't need to be in an er like let's start with expectations 101 and it's if you're in a rush and you have somewhere to be you probably aren't having an emergency and you mm -hmm. might even just want to go to urgent care because they can probably get you in and out faster when they're not dealing with like people who are having strokes and heart attacks actively while you're you know there with your non-emergent complaint well, and... i think that's a hard pill to swallow too because Mine was obviously a level of an emergency, but I was told a, a few different times by nurses in a very kind way, we're working on it, we're really backed up, we just have some people who are more emergent than you, which I can respect, I totally understand that. But when you're the patient who literally cannot sit still because you are, you're, you're in so much physical pain, it's not the nurse's fault, it's not the doctor's fault, it's the nature of that day and the, the way the dice were rolled in terms of who's in that ER, but it's still very hard to accept as a patient right. who is just wants it to end, just right. wants to have some sense of relief, um, you know, and so it, it works both ways, but I think nurses have the cards stacked against them the way teachers do. Teachers, to me, are also, just like nurses, saints, both of that, the same profession, you don't go into it to make a paycheck. No. You go into it to make a paycheck and because you you have a passion for for something about nursing or teaching. Mm -hmm. It's not an it's a thankless job. Like you said, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving. 
But when you sign on for that, that's kind of what you're signing on for. And it doesn't mean you're not allowed to be human and vent and fall apart and have shitty days because everybody has those. But you do have to kind of remember that on the other side of it, there are patients that are vulnerable and hurting and scared. And they're there looking at you for comfort and solace. They're not looking at you to like make miracles. They're looking at you just to like look them in the eye and give them a little bit of a um, reassurance that everything is moving the way it's supposed to be, you know? Yeah. And I think sometimes too, um, you know, like the hospital is a scary place. Like people, especially now people are by themselves. They're not Mm -hmm. in their element. They don't know what's going on. You know, they have people worrying about them outside the hospital. And um, I think right now more than ever, like, like patients coming in have to give the healthcare workers some grace because we're we're operating in a pandemic and we're doing the best we can and I know as a patient you know like not everyone wants to hear that we're doing the best that we can um but right now we really truly are and when you have no staff and you know none of those things are the patient's fault like that's not something that you can control that's not something I can control it just is what it is and we're all just kind of trying to get by I'm just super upfront with people like my advice for my other nurses out there is to just be super upfront with people and I'll tell them like I don't ever be like oh we're short-staffed today because no patient wants to hear that but you know I'll just say like look you know I'll explain the facts like we you're I'm waiting for the doctor I'm waiting for the doctor like when when are they going to get here it's like I'll be real and say look the doctor is doing xyz I'll say he's for example he's intubating a patient down the hallway who was having trouble breathing and it just kind of puts things in perspective for the patient that you're caring for now in your case if you're like vomiting in a bucket and writhing in pain I mean that's something that takes priority to me Mm -hmm. um I I mean personally this is why I was telling you your experience just wasn't what I feel like would be the norm I mean if I had a patient or most of my coworkers had a patient that was literally just like projectile vomiting into a bucket in a hallway we'd be taking care of that yeah um you know just as long as we weren't literally actively in a cold or something like that Right. right like doing CPR okay fine um but you know just trying to advocate for your patients and getting them what you what they need and if they're not if you're not getting what you need, making sure that you escalate to the next level. Like I, as a nurse, sometimes will go to the doctor and my patients don't understand. Like I'll try to tell them like, it's not me. I have asked on your behalf a thousand times, but if the doctor is busy or they're Mm -hmm. doing something and they can't get to it and it's not a priority to them, then my hands are kind of tied. Like I can't just go ordering stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, I try to communicate that as best as I can with my patients. Like, look, I'm so sorry. And I think sometimes patients just want to hear that you give a fuck. Like, that's it. That's it. That's it. You're, but you hit the nail on the head. It's that you give a fuck, but that also, I think, as long as you're communicating and there's kindness there and there's some kind of information explaining why things are taking so long, for most level-headed people who are not just complainers and looking to start a fight and aggressors and all that stuff. For most level-headed people, even in situations where they're scared, I think that the logic will allow them to say, okay, this sucks. Like, I'm not in a good place. This isn't fun for anybody, but they're communicating with me. They're being kind. They're telling me, you know, what's going on. And that's, at that point, I feel like that's all you can do. You cannot physically pick a doctor up and carry him over. And, you know, you you can't. Like, there's only so much you can do. And I think patients logically understand that. But I think it's the dismissiveness. For my experience particularly, there was so much dismissiveness as if, oh, you're not dying. Like, yes, you're in pain, but you're not dying. So it's not like, crucial right now and I want to be like are you kidding me like I have I have so much pain medication in my body right now that 
and no food and being in pain that that's making it even worse and you just keep putting it in me and it's not helping me I don't want it like I don't want it and so I think it's a very fine line between patients understanding how to advocate for themselves in a very logical way and know when to take things to the next step like do I need to call a hospital administrator do I need to just have a come to Jesus talk with my nurse do I need like am I in the wrong here do I need to just shut my mouth like I think that's the scary thing is because we see doctors and nurses police officers teachers all these people as authority figures and so when you're the one who's being taken care of I think you have that immediate thought that you just kind of have to sit back and take it and I don't think that's fair I think patients need to understand that they are allowed to advocate for their care also in a kind way. I don't think patients should be assholes either. I think patients should come from a place of kindness if they want kindness back. Right. And yeah, and at the end of the day, like I I think it's really, again, goes back to the expectations. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the times patients come to the hospital and they just don't know what to expect. They've either, sometimes they've never been there before. They've never Mm -hmm. even been to the fucking hospital. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what the process is. And, like, sometimes I find myself just going through the motions and being like, hey, I'm Ashley, I'm your nurse, and blah, 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 blah. And I forget sometimes that people, like, are like, okay, slow down. What's an IV? What's – but, like, they just don't – they don't even fucking know. You know right. what I mean? And right. I think it's important – you know, it's, it's really hard, especially now, to, like, slow things down and be patient and do all of that because, right – you know, we're just running around as best we can trying to just – get shit done and keep people alive honestly yeah um that it's really really hard to do that but I do again I do my very best um I think communication is key you know no matter what um from both ends you know like we're not mind readers as nurses either so like if you need something um don't wait till it's a crisis you know just speak up and say like what you need and furthermore if you need something and you're asking for xyz please tell us all of your needs at one time. Right. Don't, it's like when you go to a restaurant and you order food and you're like, oh, um, can you bring me ketchup? And they come back with a ketchup. You're like, oh, can I get another refill on my diet Coke? Yes. And they're like, oh, can I, I mean, yes, I, I, yes. I think Fucking that that is. Please, for the love of God, because <laughs> that just contributes though to like your nurse being completely exhausted and annoyed. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's when sometimes like our not so nice side can come out and it's like the compassion starts to wane because we're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like another request. Like I literally like, and it's like, it's not your fault because you don't understand what's going on around me and you shouldn't. It's not your, your responsibility to understand my situation as a nurse, like that I have other things going on. I think we're, what I would say sometimes is the best actors in the building because I can literally leave a code where I just bag somebody and tag somebody for the morgue and walk in with a smile and be like, here's your socks you asked for. I'm so sorry it took for so long. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, patients oftentimes have no fucking clue what we've just dealt with either. And like I said, it's not your responsibility, but, you know, again, just giving your your nurse or your doctor, whoever, a little grace, because you sometimes, just as we don't know what you're going through, like you don't know what we just went through either and why things maybe took so long. And it's not, I can't just walk into your room and be like, I'm sorry it took so long, but we were doing CPR on somebody and they died. And right. you, it, you, that's not appropriate right. either. So, you know, I just walk in and say, look, I'm so sorry. It took me a, a while. I was dealing with a critical patient. Um, here's, you know, XYZ, whatever it was that you asked for. Um, and And most of the time, people are receptive and understand and are like, oh, okay, no problem, you know, whatever. Um, and then occasionally the issue is, Rachel, that we have patients that not even in your wildest dreams, how they fucking act. You're like, are you 
I, oh, are, I, where the fuck, like, are you an animal? Like, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's absurd. Like, I literally had a patient yesterday on his call bell every 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes for, for, because he was anxious because of this and because of that. And I literally had not only, honestly, my patients weren't even that sick. It was fine. I'll take sick patients all day because I can fix that most of the time. I can treat whatever is going on, but the neediness, I cannot mm-hmm. treat. I can't fix that shit. You come in with all the needs and all of the wants and the call bell constantly. Like, I want to rip your call bell out of the wall so that it doesn't work anymore and you're pushing a button and nothing's happening. Like, that's literally, I, I well, shit you not, Rach, I literally was like, this man is going to be the fucking death of me because I can't deal anymore. Like, and it literally bled into, like, my other patients. All my patients were either crazy or needy or both. And it was it just wasn't. It was one of those days. And I was just emotionally, like, to the point where, like, a secretary came up to me and was like, hey, Ash, can you? And I was like, what? What do you want? You you snap at some point. You yes, break. And I it's, snap. But you, but, you know, you said before and you've said multiple times that, like, you have to show grace. And I think that works on both sides. I think both sides, especially now with COVID and people being alone in the hospital, that's important more now than ever. But like you said, when there are patients coming in and they don't even know what an IV is, I can, you just made me remember when I had my first child in Boston in a teaching hospital, it was crazy and the hustle and bustle was crazy. And there were, you know, a million hands checking my vagina every second because (laughs) it was a teaching hospital. And I will never forget, I had my baby. Nobody communicated to me. Not a single nurse said to me, okay, this is what's going to happen you know, the baby's going to stay in the room with you. That's what you requested. So you're going to want to change her diaper every X amount of hours. You're going to want to nurse her. I literally, I mean, there are times where I have burnt bagels four times before I get it right. So when you're handing me a newborn, I kind of expect you to say to me for the first time, I just want you to say to me, make sure you change her diaper. So I was that person not ringing the call bell every 15 minutes, but like I would ring the call bell and be like, is somebody going to come change my baby? Because I didn't even know I was supposed to do it. Like that's how <laughs> where am I? I was What's so, happening? I was a new mom. I was young. I didn't know what the hell was you going on. You just popped a kid out of your vagina. Right. And so I, the, the things that you assume a patient knows, you can't assume a patient knows because as a first time mom, yes, I know logically you change a kid's diaper, but in the first few hours that baby's born, I didn't know what the nurse is supposed to do. I didn't even know how to change diaper. I didn't know how to do anything. And so from a very basic level, I feel like if you knocked some of that out of the way with most issues with your patients by explaining procedures or what they need to do or what they should be feeling or all these things I think you'd probably knock out a bunch of those call bell calls Mm -hmm. before they even happen because I know that if a nurse would have said to me here's your like cheat sheet here's what you need to do I would not have pinged for anyone I would have just taken care of it Mm -hmm. I didn't even know I was supposed to change her diaper (laughs) I didn't know there were diapers in that little caddy until my friends were like make sure you steal all the diapers and and the um you know take whatever they leave in the caddy to take home because they're not gonna know it's missing I'm like oh cool I didn't know that was a thing that we're supposed to do we're stealing diapers diapers expensive and it'd be like that (laughs) we're just stealing diapers from the hospital and guess what the hospital can afford it so just fucking take the diapers the diapers and the, the diapers and the mesh underwear that's what I'm there for oh my god god I mean how much more demeaning is the childbirth it's, like, it, it all, is, all, it's just the worst. 
Thank I God. Was, I don't work in L&D. God bless those nurses because I could not. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I once went to an event for just for my profession where I had to like try in a bunch of clothes and stuff. And there were all these young girls around me. And here I am, you know, 42 at the time and 40, 41 at the time. And I'm standing there and I'm just ripping stuff off, trying clothes on. And the girls are horrified. And they're looking at me and they're like, do you want to like clothes and put mirrors around you <laughs> and I'm like I have had two children everyone in all of Boston and Boca Raton <laughs> has seen some part of my body and looked up my vagina so I don't really care if you see my postpartum boobs right now while I'm changing into shirts the modesty Joke's is gone you. I'm yeah. all set yeah not just in labor and delivery I think in the hospital experience in general like you kind of have to just oh, we get to realize that so there's quickly. no modesty anymore there's there isn't none. and I try to watch and even just that alone I mean, we see people in their most vulnerable, I mean, ass wiping, mm -hmm. like, and we're trying to get shit done, right? Like, we're, we, I walk in and I get to know you on a personal naked level. I mean, there's nothing more <laughs> vulnerable than being naked. And I think yep. even sometimes we forget that as nurses, like, mm -hmm. I'm self-conscious around my fucking husband that I've been <laughs> with for 13 years. Like, he doesn't even see me. Like I see some patients in the hospital, you know what I mean? And I, mm -hmm. and I, and I just, I just, I'm so happy we're doing this because I really just, I feel like some people that are listening might need a reminder. Like we are seeing people at their absolute most naked form. They're sick. They don't feel good. We're asking them to like do all these things like get naked, put this gown on. I'm going to start an IV and then you're going to sit here for five hours and minutes, probably yep. not hear back and know what the fuck is going on. Yep. And I just find myself now I narrate. I like narrate my way through the day. I literally walk in. I'm like, my name's Ashley. I'm going to be your nurse. You know, I hear you're here for X, Y, Z. Can you tell me in your own words, like what's going on? Give the patient the opportunity to tell you. Because sometimes people just haven't even fucking listened to them yet, and they're there for some other... That's why the story, I feel like, changes and evolves a million times before you even get to the doctor or the nurse or whoever, because no one really took the time to listen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want the cliff notes. I do want to tell, you know, the non-medicals listening here. If you're going to the hospital, we want the pertinent cliff notes. I don't care about what happened <laughs> in 2012 that has led you to this day, unless it is, like, absolutely necessary, because I don't have time... You know, I love you, but I don't have the time to listen right. to your, I'll tell them like in a couple of sentences, can you tell me what's going on? And right. the brevity is, brevity is best. That's it. I, I, I want to know, I want the cliff notes. I, I do not, I can't afford to have the whole novel at this time, unfortunately. I wish I had time to listen to it all, but I don't. They'll tell me what's going on. I'll say, okay, so this is what's going to happen. I have a gown here. I need you to change. Do you need help? Because some people don't want fucking help. They're like, back off. Give me some mm -hmm. privacy. You know, and then some people, there's people like you that are like, I don't give a fuck. Here's my, here's my shit. Snap my bra off. Tits flying yeah. everywhere. Throw yeah. your gown on. Call it a day. Like, no problem. Like, we, we don't care either. We've seen it all. There's nothing that you're going to show us that we haven't seen. And, you know, and go about your day. Like, I'm going to put your IV in. Okay, you're going to feel a little pinched. Do you want me to count? Which arm do you want me to use? People have preferences. Like, mm -hmm. it's like a child. It's like when you get, when you want to give them lunch, like you, they're tyrants. You can't just ask, say, what do you want for lunch? You're like, I have hot dogs or hamburgers. Which one do you want? <laughs> you have two arms. I can put an IV in either. Which one do you prefer? You know, like, uh, you know, I'm not going to just walk up, grab your arm and throw an IV in because you know, they're like, what's going on? What are you doing? Like, 
So, but what do you, because you, listen, we're obviously having a very honest conversation and there are phenomenal nurses, but there's also like nurse ratchets out there who oh, just don't. So, so how, so if you're a patient in that situation, like how do you know the difference between someone who's just maybe having a shitty day and is a fantastic nurse and is just normally has compassion, and empathy, and is just off a little bit versus someone who you really need to kind of like, you know, call someone else and have a conversation to switch up your care a little bit because you don't feel comfortable. Like when, when, I guess, when is the point where you're not a pain in the ass and you have a valid reason for wanting to change things up because it's not working for you? Right. That's a tough question to answer because, you know, I personally work with some nurses that I'm like, oof, like if you were ever my fucking nurse, like, Mm -hmm. mm -mm, like, you know what I mean? Like you always want to be the nurse the kind of nurse that you would want to take care of you Mm -hmm. and and it's funny that you say that actually because my manager sends all these emails and he'll be like would you let you take care of you and it's so true though like would you you know and Mm -hmm. there's some nurses out there that like you said they're assholes they probably shouldn't be nurses anymore they're burnout they should probably go like be a NICU and rock babies to sleep all day because oh man that's gonna offend the NICU nurses sorry guys (laughs) I know you guys do way more shit than that, but I just feel like being with babies just is so much more better than more better. I can't even speak English. I need to be stroke alerted immediately. Um, it's so much better than dealing with adults and their needs constantly. No, um, adults are adults I love you guys. are. I mean, kids kids are are innocent beings who I I would imagine, barring major scary emergencies on a on a normal day, are probably much easier to deal with than adults. I'll tell you that my roommate, because I had one of those when I had my kidney stones, and that made it even worse because I was like. I couldn't stop screaming my head off from the pain I was in. I had this very old woman um, and she was ringing her call bell probably every five minutes um, to tell them that she shit the bed again every (laughs) single time. Now, had I not been in pain, I probably would have found a little bit of levity, not laughing at her because it's it's an awful situation, but just the... The, the back and forth was yeah. like a Saturday Night Live skit of like the nurses coming in, you see their faces like, here we go again. Can't and make this that's their up. job. That's going to happen. Like, yep. I get it. But our room was like that cursed room where you have one crazy lady standing, you know, screaming like a, a primal scream because she cannot take another ounce of kidney stone pain. Then you have an old woman who's shitting the bed every five minutes. And we probably no one wanted to come near us. Like it was right. probably like a, we were blackballed by you the nurse's station. The fucking plagued corner. Then no one, <laughs> yes. yeah, everyone was like, take their call bells away. Shut all of them up. <laughs> They're doing rock, paper, put that, scissors put a to see who's coming. that lady because we just can't do it anymore. Do you do rock, paper, scissors to see who's going to go in ever? Um, no, I've actually never done that because ultimately if it's my patient, like it's, it's a problem <laughs> and no other nurse is going to rock, paper, scissors her way into like dealing with that if they don't have to. But if you have a good crew, you're like, okay, yeah, let's go. Let's go do this together, you know? But, um, I think to answer your question, I think. If you're having a problem with your nurse, it's best to just, it's kind of like the chain of command as always, like just have a conversation with your nurse and just say, sometimes your nurse doesn't even realize that they're coming off like an asshole. Like Mm. I've had days even where I talk to people and I walk out of the room and I go, wow, I'm like, like I'm premenstrual or something. Like sometimes I, I actually put in my period calendar, sorry for all the male (laughs) listeners, but I'll put in my period calendar, like a note that I was just apathetic. Like I gave not a single fuck that day. And unfortunately, sometimes that works, that, that falls on a work day and patients will, I'm sure a patient of mine at some point has been like, wow, she's a real fucking bitch. And yeah. I probably was, and I probably didn't even realize. So if you're like, Hey, I don't know if you're having a bad day or if it's something that I've said and your, your nurse might just be like, 
oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was coming off like that. Or they might just actually be a bitch and not fucking care. And then in that case, I think it just depends on what answer you get, right? Mm-hmm. If you're like, hey, look, I'm, I'm sure you're really busy. Like acknowledge too, like just like we do for the patients. Like mm-hmm. I, I know you're in pain. I know you've been waiting a long time and I'm, and I'm sorry about that. You know, I know you're probably having a stressful day and I know you're probably busy. Um, but X, Y, Z and, you know, um, or I don't know if you're having a, if you're having a bad day or if you're just really busy or if it's something that I said, but I just feel like X, Y, Z, like whatever your problem is. And if you don't get the answer that you want, it's, it's, I mean, you can always ask for the charge nurse or the manager or whoever and just escalate it that way. And I mean, if the manager comes in and they're like, yeah, we always have a problem with Susie. She's kind of a bitch, you know, Mm -hmm. then that's one thing. I mean, that happens too. Or it'll be like, oh my God, no, Ashley's a great nurse. She's usually super nice. Like she, she's just having a bad day. You know, I'm so sorry, blah, 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 whatever, you know? Um, and then I have to say a lot of the, I, I don't feel like they switch nurses typically, unless it's like one of those situations where the nurse is just being an absolute cunt. Mm-hmm. and the manager knows that they're in the wrong and that they're just an asshole, then in that yeah. case, maybe they'll remove that nurse in that situation and, and give you somebody else. Um, but that's I wouldn't say that that's a routine thing. So the fact that even, like, you got, like, another nurse and you got all that it just shows you that whoever was taking care of you is just an asshole. Well, that's when we knew it was bad, when the, when the charge nurse came in, and he basically did say that. He was like... In so many words. Yeah, you know, we, we'll, we'll take care of it, don't worry. And then the hospital administrator came and gave me my seven ninety nine um, free we'll meal coupon, <laughs> which I can probably get a soup, I don't know. Right, or um, like a water. I still have it. I think about maybe going back on like my kidney stone anniversary every year and like celebrating <laughs> in the cafeteria, but I, I now with COVID, I don't know if that's going to happen It's probably expired. Soon. You should check it because I guarantee you your gift had an expiration date. I Listen, if that expired, they will honor it because you know me, Ashley, and after what I went through, they I am not leaving with my without my soup. It's not happening. I am getting my goddamn soup. But, but I'll tell you that... What I found really interesting was after it was all done and like we, you know, I I wrote a really heartfelt letter to the CEO and I got responses and all that stuff. I was contacted by the team of people who reviews all these things and the survey they send and everything. Yeah, like the patient And and I will tell people who are patients who are watching this, who think that those surveys and all that stuff is bullshit. If you fill out a survey and you have had genuine concerns and things, you at least in my experience, you will get a call. I actually got phone calls and emails because they want to fix it. They don't want to have those negative effects and surveys that are sitting in their system. They don't. So, um, but what I found really interesting was that from that nurse that was a problem that got switched, when they called me to kind of give me an update on what was going on with the situation and apologize and everything that happened, they told me that they made him go to some kind of sensitivity training or seminar about dealing with patients and I I couldn't help but think to myself but that does that not happen as a nurse in general when you are a brand new nurse for the first time in your life do they prepare you to for how to deal with patients emotionally because I don't know that someone just knows how to do that it's a very big responsibility to be on a, a floor of any hospital being responsible as a nurse especially very early on in your career for patients and not be equipped with something that the hospital has provided or whatever to help you navigate those situations because it's not just about the clinical stuff right there's the whole emotional part of it and validating patients and making them feel comfortable and so i would think that that would should be part of some kind of like hospital orientation. So I was kind of shocked when they were like, oh, we sent him to sensitivity training, which is great. He clearly needed it. 
and maybe needs to consider a new career, maybe he needs to go to the DMV. I don't know. He needs maybe. to be somewhere where cranky people are allowed to right. be. But are I you cranky? Just, You're hired. I was just surprised that it took that for him to have that kind of training. I would think that, that would be something that most nurses would welcome, especially new in their career, so that they could understand the best way to deal with patients. To be honest with you, um, I've never had any type of formal sensitivity training or anything like that. I mean, in nursing school, they do their best to teach you how to talk to people and how to navigate people's, you know, at the end of the day, like, especially in the ER or anywhere in the hospital, um, things aren't going to go your way, Mm -hmm. right? Things get in the way, emergencies happen, you get pushed back. If there's a delay there, it's never, no one's ever walked to the hospital and been like, wow, it was an amazing experience. Like, <laughs> what a great time. nobody fucking does that. <laughs> like, even if they're walking away with a baby, they're like, there's so- something could have been complained about. You know what I mean? Nothing was totally. perfect. It's just not a perfect environment and things are going to happen. So, you know, I feel like they try to prepare us for, you know, oh, like in simulation, for example, we'll be like in simulation and they'll be like, a patient in the bed that tries to give you a hard time to be like that classic patient that is just the worst. And you have to, you have to try to find the words and navigate through that and try to not make yourself look like an asshole and try to work it out, you know, whatever it is. But that's so, don't you think that's so important? Like, don't you think that's such an important exercise? But here's the thing. I think, I think in, I think in your case, your nurse probably went to his sensitivity training, which he likely got paid for, by the way. A hundred percent. And, um, you know, probably shoved it up his asshole and kept on being an asshole because people like that, unfortunately, just aren't in it for the right reasons. And maybe he really should consider a job at the DMV. I mean, (laughs) I I don't know. Like, I have to say, you know, um, it's funny because, I mean, it's not funny. Actually, it's fucking horrible. But the other day I had an experience where I had to really – there's policies now, like the, the pandemic has really put a strain on um, everything. Like I'm exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted. I come home and I've literally sat in the shower and just cried for absolutely no fucking reason. Just because I was stressed out all day, not even because I had, a, a you know, anything traumatic happen. It was just an exhausting day. I didn't get to eat because it was just like I couldn't leave my patients because they had too much going on. And it's just, you know, we get exhausted. You know, you reach a breaking point and I have to, I have to, I'm not one of those people that cries. I don't cry when I'm sad. I cry when I'm frustrated. And like, I come home sometimes just so frustrated by uh, so many things, by my patients, by like people just not understanding how things work and, you know, policies that are in place right now that like I could never, I, I can't even imagine. And, you know, this no visitor policy thing has just in the hospital right now with the pandemic, like there's no visitors and it's crazy. And I, I literally had the other day, um, a lady that was like 80 something years old, but she was one of those 80 year olds that was just doing her thing, living life, you know, no, she, she was not like sick. She didn't have dementia. She was, she was just living like you and I. And, um, you know, it was just after the holiday, Christmas had just passed. And this was only a few days ago. It was just before new year's. And, um, the day before she was completely fine. And then the next day, uh, her daughter went to go wake her up and she went to wake up. And I mean, that is just alone terrifying as someone who is like, what's wrong? Like, I don't know what's going on. She was just fine. What do you mean? And um, they called an ambulance and it turns out she had a massive head bleed. She was on a ventilator. She, I mean, you went from fine to not fine. And I always say to people, 
everyone's fine until they're not right Mm -hmm. everyone's fine until they're not and she was just fine yesterday and they just had a big celebration you know with their immediate family for christmas and um, nothing big just a few people and um their daughter i had to call over the phone first of all nobody even called the daughter to tell her what was going on like i feel like it's the doctor's responsibility who is the captain of the ship so to say you know, decision wise and prognosis wise. And, you know, I'll say all the time, you know, I'm just the nurse, like, but I know what's going on. I mm-hmm. know that this is not good. And I know that this is not a situation that's likely going to improve. Um, you know, and I got to be the person that had called her and I said, I always say, and I, I, for all my medical people that are listening, I always ask, what do you know? What have you been told? Because the last thing that I want to do is either A, repeat something horrific that they don't want to hear again, or B, mm-hmm. I need to know what you know. <laughs> like, if no one's told you what's going on, I need to prepare myself emotionally to pick the right words and to say the right things, and but to also give you the facts. That's a lot of pressure. And it's you're a lot. Doing it, and you're doing it over the phone now since people can't be there in person in, again, vulnerable situations, and it's a lot. It's the worst. And, you know, I... I try so hard to just be as delicate as I can, but also as frank as I can so that nothing is confusing. Like they teach us in school not to say, not to use like euphemisms, like they've passed or, or they've, or they've, they've left us. Like, where did they go? Did they go to another hospital? Like, no, right. No, you have to use like very clear terms. Like, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I had a conversation with the daughter who I said, you know, what do you know? And she said, um, I just know that I tried to wake her up in the morning and she wouldn't wake up and, you know, that I called an ambulance. Like, that's all I know. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you don't even, you have no fucking clue. So I explained to her, I said, very frankly, I said, look, like, this is what happened. Your mom had a, you know, big, big um, bleeding in her brain and um, she's on the ventilator, which is helping her breathe. We're protecting her airway, um, X, Y, Z. And you can just hear the silence on the other end, like, waiting she's waiting for like something positive to come out of Mm -hmm. your mouth and like it's just not happening right she wanted to hear but she's everything's gonna be fine right and I paused and she just started crying and I said I'm so sorry that I'm doing this over the phone I'm so sorry that I'm telling you this um I'm going to let the doctor give you the details but I just want you to be prepared and understand like that this is not a good situation like this is not likely going to be a good outcome for your mom Mm-hmm. And um, even, unfortunately, when patients are dying, uh, they're not having visitors in the hospital. Like, it is it's just not a thing. And I just had to sit there on the phone. She's like, when can we come be with her? And I had to tell her, like, you can't. You can't. And I said, you know, I did all of that. I hung up the phone. I called her back. And I said to myself, you know what? Fuck this shit. Fuck this policy. It's bullshit. I don't give a fuck. If that was my mom are my dad, and they were fine yesterday, they're on a ventilator today, and I'm being told that they're probably going to fucking die. If I want to be there, the amount of extra trauma that I'm causing somebody with this policy, it's Mm -hmm. insane. Like, I couldn't even, I was tearing up on the phone. I was just trying to keep it together because I can't even imagine being on the receiving end of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's important as nurses to remember, um, you know, when you have bad news, like what it's like to give that bad news to somebody and to have to hear that, you know, over the phone, like it's the worst, it's horrendous. Like it shouldn't even be. So I said, fuck the policy. I don't give a fuck. I let all the family members in. I let fucking 10 people in there. I don't give a fuck. And they're and calling they probably me. probably were so appreciative. They like, were. Even though 
They were. And they called me, and they're calling me from the front like, Ash, um, there's another family member here. And I go, I don't give a fuck. I said, let them in. Let them in. And they kept asking me for every family member. I said, stop calling me. If there's a family member here and they want to come be here, you let them in. Like, yeah. I don't care. I'll get fucking fired over this. Like, this is, this is insane. Like, this is inhumane. Like, so anyways, let all the family members in. They all got to say goodbye and, um, you know, sit there and cry. I let them stay for hours. And I let them pray. I let them cry. I let them do whatever they wanted to fucking do. I explained everything. I said, you know, and it's so important, too, like, when you walk somebody into a room like that, when their mother or their wife or their daughter or their sister is on a ventilator. You have to You have them. to brace people for that. Like, I can't even... My mom, like when my grandma had a stroke and she was on a ventilator and it was a whole thing, <clears throat> my mom's medical. She's a nurse practitioner. Like she knows what's up. She knows what a ventilator is. She knows what's going on. Like, and, and the fact though, that no one prepared my mom, they didn't even tell her that my grandma was on a ventilator. So she walked in and was like in a state of shock. Like, oh my God, no one prepared me for this. Like, even when you're medical to walk in and see somebody like that that you love, I mean, that's fucking well, traumatizing. Well, you need a heads up. It's, it's jarring. It's a jarring visual. It's, it's a, vis- a jarring visual that you need a heads up about. You need a heads up. So <clears throat> if you're, you ever have a patient who is on a ventilator or anything like that, any invasive, anything, warn the people that are walking in. Mm-hmm. They need to know. And I warned these people before they even came to the hospital that this was not going to end well, that this was not a good situation. They knew exactly what was going on. I explained everything that I was doing while they were in there. I said, okay, this is a this is what this tube is. This is what this tube is. This is an IV. This is what this medication is for. This is, you know, draining her urine. This is draining contents from her stomach. Like, they need to understand what's going on. And, you know, I let them all say goodbye. I can sleep at night knowing that I did that for them and that mm-hmm. they had the opportunity to do what I think is a basic human right. And, you know... Um, she actually got admitted to the ICU. I called the ICU and I said, you know, is there anything that you guys can do? Like I've let them stay here for as long as they wanted. Cause I was not going to be the person that told them that they had to leave. And, um, they were like, well, the policy says that they can come up here for 15 minutes for one time during their stay. And I said, I mean, that could be days. It could be hours. That could be, who knows, who knows how long she'll live. Um, eventually they're going to have to withdraw care because this is not, you know, a life sustaining situation. Yeah. Right. Um, and I just literally like scoffed over the phone. I was disgusted. I'm like, this is fucking disgusting. I can't even believe that like, this is what's happening. Like the amount, like had, we are I in this, this because we care. Like we I had care. this conversation today with somebody and they said, it's a, te- it's a right now is a terrible time to die. It's a terrible fucking time. Like I, I just can't even imagine. I mean, I literally walked. So I had to walk her out and I said, look, um, when your family member gets here from out of town tomorrow, like if your mom is still alive, um, make your way here, make your way here, be here for your 15 minutes. And I'm, I'm so sorry that we're doing this to you. Um, it shouldn't be this way. And I'll be frank with people. They'll be like, you know, even if it's not something like a dying situation, but like, um, something like the, their family members having an emergent procedure or something or going to the OR, which is scary because you don't know the outcome. Mm-hmm. Like, could, could I die during the procedure? Sure. Absolutely. It's an emergency. Like anything could happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they'll be like, this policy is insane. You have no heart. You have no compassion. Like I'm yelled at over the phone. Like it's my fucking I'm policy. Sure. I'm sure. And I'm like, it's not, I'm so sorry. I agree. I'll tell them. I agree with you. I think this policy is insane. Like I, I, I'll tell them 
write a letter, call the CEO, do advocate for yourself, advocate for your family. And if you're one of those people that's on the other end of this policy and you are being told you can't be there, I think until people start speaking up and speaking out about this policy, like it will never change. And I sent an email to my CEO a couple days ago and uh, I sent it over the weekend, uh, like Friday evening. So I haven't heard back yet, obviously, but I'm really hoping that I hear back. I mean, I wrote a lengthy fucking email. Like I am the queen email writer. <laughs> I like I can write a fucking email. Anyways, I wrote this email and I just laid it out. I said, look, like at the end of the day, like we have an opportunity to do the right thing and we're not doing the right thing. And this is hurting people more than whatever benefit you think is coming from well, this it's traumatic. It's traumatic. It's traumatic on so many levels because you, you know, most people, if you are in a situation where you're dealing with a sick family member or God forbid losing a family member, everyone has their own process for coping and grieving and, and where we should be allowed to grieve. We should yep. be allowed to mourn. We should be allowed to do that. And when you get that taken away from you, where you can't even see the person or touch the person or hug the person or whatever it is, that that is an emotional trauma that you can't get back. You can't go back in time. But I think that, like you said, from the beginning of this episode, like I think from nurse for nurses and patients, like everybody wants to be met on both sides with kindness and validation, right? Mm -hmm. Nurses want to be validated and they want the patients to be kind and patients want to be validated with their concerns and they want nurses to be kind. And I think if all sides could at the very, very least do that, it would be, it would go somewhere versus people getting ragey and needy and, you know, litigious and how, whatever, however extreme you want to take it to. But I think if you just listen and hear each other and explain things the way that you have been talking about this whole time to the patients and let them know where things stand, even if you don't have answers and you're just saying, listen, I'm chasing the doctor around. He's doing this, this, and this. I promise I'm on it. Like As long as there's those proactive updates and they see you're doing something, I do feel like that makes a difference. And, and there's probably nurses out there who just feel like patients don't want their time wasted with that because when you don't have real news why go in and I totally get that but like you said when you are scared and vulnerable and you're laying there in a hospital bed you just want to know that someone gives a shit mm -hmm. you just want to know that someone gives a shit yeah and I'll walk by and just say even if it's been a while and I'll say look I'm, I'm sorry I've been running around I haven't forgotten you mm -hmm. I haven't forgotten you I'm still waiting on results I'm still waiting on whatever I will keep you posted. Um, and a lot of the times patients just are happy to know that they just aren't laying there like right. No, right. like they've been forgotten because that's it, it can feel like that. Like I can easily walk away from your room and not see you for like two and a half, three hours mm -hmm. because I can see that on the monitor your vitals are fine. I can I whether you realize it or not, I'm doing a drive by and I'm looking at you and I see that you're fine. And I keep moving, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because there's there's things happening that I have to take care of. Mm -hmm. And if and, and I'll tell them, like, if I have a moment and if I have time, I promise I'll come back and, you know, we'll have a conversation, whatever, you know? Like, I will keep you posted. Like, a second I know something, you'll know something. And, you know, I'll keep you in the loop. And communication is key at the end of the day, I think, for a, a smooth patient, nurse, or doctor transition um, or interaction, I should say. And... Just being honest with people. Don't lie mm -hmm. to people. Set expectations from the very beginning. Even from triage, from the second that they walk in, I'll say, you know, my name's Ashley. I'm doing your triage. I only have a few minutes to get the information that I need because I don't want them to feel like I'm rushing them, but I'm rushing you. I don't have right. time for a whole conversation. Right. And I'll say, 
the nurse and the doctor in the back, they're go- they'll do. They'll get the full story from you. I need, you know, just give the, the bare minimum. Points. Give me the highlights <laughs> and we'll get you in as soon as we can. And I'll be frank with people. It, I'll tell you from the but beginning. But I think that's... I it's going to be that's... a long wait or it's going to be whatever. In the meantime, and even just like when you walk into a patient's room and you know you're going to be like, you've got shit to go do. I'll walk in and say, I'm really busy. I have a million things going on. I want to make sure everything is taken care of right now that you need. Is there anything that I can get you right now? Because I'm going to be gone for a while. And then mm-hmm. they'll say, oh, oh, yeah, can I have a ice chips and a blanket and whatever? Yes, absolutely. I'll go run and get all that shit. I'll bring it back because you need to pre- pre- prepare to not need me for like a solid hour at least. So I can mm-hmm. go do what I have to do, you know? And a lot of Ser- people understand Serious that. question. Serious question, though. How the fuck do we get more comfortable hospital pillows? Um, oh, my God. Uh, first of all, that's funny because we're on rations as it is with the shitty pillows that we do have. Um, oh, I swear to God, Rachel, oftentimes no, I bring my pillows. Own. I bring, bring my fucking own. own. Bring your own. I do. Because oftentimes, you know what patients' pillows are? A rolled up blanket behind their yeah. head. Like no. makeshift pillow so that you're not, you know. Listen, if, you, if you're listening and you are not a nurse and you are um, going into the hospital for anything, bring a pillow. But especially if you're having a baby, bring a pillow and a blanket. Just bring it because I'm telling you, it was the, I didn't know to do it my first time. Again, first time mom. With my second baby, I didn't bring all this shit to take newborn pictures and dress her up. I brought my own pillow. I brought my <laughs> own blanket. Um, you know, like you, the, the, you need comfort. The and that's the thing is a hospital only provides so much comfort. But those pillows, Ashley, that, I need a campaign to, I mean, I'd make it's it is trust me i'm with you it's they're the worst and <laughs> the worst and the er beds especially were not built for comfort they were right. built for like you laying in it for like two to three hours max but unfortunately right. the way right. that things are right now people are laying in them i shit you not waiting for a bed upstairs for 24 48 hours yeah. and holding patients in the er just like your experience you were yep. you know in the er forever you had no idea what was going on same deal and i'll tell patients look i'm sorry these beds were not built for comfort like they were not <laughs> built for worst. this shit like at all um but like you know, right off, piggybacking off what you said, you know, some of the do's and don'ts and et cetera. I think rule number one, like we said, is if you have time to, A, I think, think about if you're having an emergency, you're not. If you have time to consider it, you are not having an emergency. Please go to urgent care. Um, Two, if you have somewhere to be, and you're on a time constraint, you're not having an emergency. Again, please. Right. This isn't like a blowout. Like, it's this not like I'm going to get my hair done real quick and then be out of here. Right. right. It's not. This is not. I, I, I just can't. I, you have no idea. Like, daily, the struggle. I wish we could put a sign out front, but we can't because that's frowned upon and it's not good for, you know, aesthetics. But, I, and then, um, let's see. Okay. Don't call the hospital and ask for medical advice because you're not going to get the answer that you want. I'm going to meet you with, I unfortunately cannot give you medical advice over the phone. If you feel like you're having an emergency, (laughs) then you need to come be seen in the emergency room. Like that is literally verbatim when I tell patients, I'm like, they'll be like, so I have blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you think I should do? I'm like, you literally just wasted five minutes of my time blabbing on the other end about whatever is going on with you. That if you do decide to come back to, to come to the emergency room, you're going to have to blab again to right. the triage nurse, to the nurse, to the doctor, to everybody. Save yourself. Save yourself. Don't call. 
don't call because I can't give you an answer other than if you feel like you're having an emergency, just come to the emergency room, which pains me so much to say because I know that that person's going to end up in my lobby. And I'm going to be like, that's the motherfucker that called for their stupid-ass oh, shit. Ashley, I spoke to you on the phone, oh, actually. Oh, it's you. I'm like, oh, God, I would know. My name is Barb, actually. It's not me. Like, turn my badge around. I don't know. We don't have an Ashley here. I'm not sure what hospital you called. It's not. It wasn't me. Another fan favorite. If your nurse is giving you medication, don't tell them how to give it to you. Please. Don't tell me how fast, how slow, how you had it the last time. I don't care. It's my license. I'm going to push it how I want to push it, which is usually how it's supposed to fucking be pushed. Like, people, I swear to God, like, I'll give Dilaudid or something, like, if we even have it, and they'll be like, why are you pushing it so slow? And I'm like, so you don't stop breathing. That's why. Please don't. I want to tell you that that is serious shit, and they gave me that during the kidney stone experience, and that actually made me feel like I was going to die. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't know how people would willingly want to do that. Right. It was so strong and so powerful, and it actually um, made me feel like I'd rather have the kidney stones. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was, I mean, it's, it's, that's a lot. It's It's a a lot. lot. It's a lot. And people want that, they want it slammed in. No. They want it in there. They want it in there like swimwear. And I'm like, I I don't need you to die. That's a lot of paperwork. And oh. I can't I'm I'm not doing that. So don't tell your nurse how to give you your medications because we went to school and most of us know what we're doing. Most of us. Most of us. I can't speak for everybody. Um some people I'm like, I don't know how you got a license and I don't know how you passed your exams. I have no fucking clue, which is scary. Which is mm. it's really scary. Um, don't get me started. Uh, so please don't come to the hospital and tell me that you have um, appendix pain. Because that just tells me that you've done a lot of research. On Google. Quote, unquote. On Google. And I just need you to tell me what you're there for. How do you know you have appendix pain? Please tell me. First of all, organs don't feel pain. <laughs> so first and foremost, no. No. Second of all, I just need you to just just tell me the facts, objective facts. I don't want to hear your subjective thoughts on what you might have unless you're actually a doctor or a nurse or an MP or a PA or someone, someone in the medical field that knows. Mm. Like if you walk, if I walked in and I'm like, I think I have appendicitis. Different story. That's a different story. You know what I mean? Because I know what appendicitis looks like and feels like. Okay, if you're getting a shot and you're in the hospital... Please don't thrash around like you are an infant getting your very first vaccines and act brand new. Please, for the love of God. Just sit still and take it. Just fucking sit there. Like, don't come to the hospital with your complaints of pain. And then when I try to do something about it, you're like. Use it from a shot. A shot is like the easy part. That's the the easiest part of what you're going to deal with. Like, so you're not having that much pain then. Is what you're telling me. Because if you were in that much pain and you were dying, you'd be begging for the shot. Don't act crazy. Because I'm not going to stick myself for your dumb ass. It's not happening. It's scary. Like, that's it's dangerous. It's so dangerous. dangerous. And I'll straight up tell people. I'll go, look, I'm straight not giving you this shot if you're going to act like that. Because I am not going to stick myself. It's not happening. So please just be an adult. And just, just sit there and take it. Same with the COVID swab. Look, I've been swabbed like six times. I know it's not pleasant. 
But for the love of God, stop grabbing our hands and pushing them away. Stop rolling your eyes and complaining and acting like a complete child when you have to get a COVID swab. Can't you just roll them in a blanket like they do with toddlers? I really wish I could. Just put them in, like, an adult straitjacket and just <laughs> strap them down and do what I have to do. It's, like, it, it's, it's insane. I'm, like, are you – and I think this all stems from – for your mom listeners out there that are listening to this, raise your children to, like, act right at the doctor's. <laughs> In the hospital, so, like if they ever find themselves there, be strong for them. Be like, yeah, you, you got you, this. You do. You have to. You, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you as a mother with two children who are very different with shots, very different. My first one, who's twelve, still to this day, will start to have a complete meltdown when she knows we're going to the pediatrician to get any kind of shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, it's two seconds, and she knows every time, even with like the flu shot, the last one she got. I was like, you freak out and then you get it and you look at me every time and go that was it like every time you do the same thing stop acting the muscle memory yeah the muscle memory is crazy here like you know this we've gone through this before we've been down this road (laughs) every time it's the same thing it will never change i've accepted it right my little one is like a a brute and you stick her with the needle and she like gives like a little (laughs) right and then she's good yeah so i I, yes i agree with you i think parents who get anxious about it make it worse but sometimes those kids are just yeah. Some kids kids are just scared of anything. It's the white coat syndrome yeah. and, and needles and whatever. But my God, yes, don't make your children crazy and scare them about shots. Like yeah. just, so they're gonna yeah. be crazy sometimes on their own and just have their own weird things. But if you can do your part and just just from the keep very it beginning, try to keep it together. Yeah. Because honestly, that's also advice for anybody any parent that has their child in the hospital. I always find that the kids that do best are the kids whose parents have it together. Like, it's yeah. hard because your kid is sick and you're scared and you don't know what's going on. But the second that you sh- – like, <laughs> I literally watched it happen in real life when I was babysitting. And um, it was just before the parents, like, left the house for the day. This is when I was, like, I don't know, 13 or whatever. And the kid came barreling down the hallway, fell, busted the shit out of his lip. It was done. It was bleeding. Clearly needed to, like, go to the ER and get it, like, stitched. It was bad. It was just bleeding everywhere. And they look at you. Like, pay attention when your kids get hurt. They look at you. Right. They want cues. They're trying to see. They're looking at you to see if you're going to panic or not. I know it's hard to control that. But if you're, like, in a hospital setting and, you know, your kid's going to get an IV or they're going to get a shot or whatever, like, they're looking at you. They're paying attention. Mm -hmm. And if you look terrified – and you're losing it, they're going to be terrified and lose it. Like, you have to keep it together. And, like, tips even for maybe nurses that aren't used to dealing with kids and now you're finding yourself in a position where you're taking care of a child, you know, use the parent. If you have to take a temperature, kids are terrified. Like, why? It's a thermometer. They, they're not rational. They're children. They don't get it. I take, I take the thermometer and I'll be like, okay, mommy, open your mouth. And here, you show them on the adult. Like, show them that it doesn't hurt, that it's – you know, take it like a champ. Give, give the the a, the parent a fake shot and be like, oh, see, right. look, mommy took it just fine. And listen, and- we're human. We're yeah. human. And when we see our babies in those situations, it does. It gets to you. And I'll tell you, I, I, we are stronger than sometimes we think we are. I mean, mothers are some of the strongest superheroes on the planet for what we deal with. But I'll tell you that when my not even two year old needed staples um, because she jumped in the pool like an animal and hit her head. <laughs> 
you're 100% right with everything you're saying. Her dad and I, my husband and I were so calm, even though we were completely freaked out during it. Totally calm during it. Like, like it was fine. And she did not even cry. I mean, she was such a champ. And then you know what you do? You come home, you put your kid to bed, you get in the shower, you turn on the water, like lava hot, melting your skin off because that's what mothers do also. It's it's a thing. It's a thing. And nurses do it too. I yeah, leave work okay. and I burn off my epidermis. Burn like I will it off emotionally, figuratively no, it's, cleanse it's myself. It's a thing. My mm-hmm. husband, when he gets in the shower sometimes after I've been there, he's like, oh my God, this is like scalding hot. And I'm like, I could have turned it even hotter. Yeah, you have no idea. It is. So you come home and you cry in the shower. You don't let your kids see it. And I am a big proponent in everything I write about. And I say that you should let your kids see your emotions and see you struggle and see all that stuff so they can see how you fix it. But when it comes to a medical emergency, I 100% agree with you. I think you have to hold it together regardless of what is going on because your kids absolutely are looking at you for any kind of, you know, crack in the surface or how you're feeling. If it's good, it's bad. They're trying to read you. And if you look worried and if you look anxious, it is, it, it, it will it makes it worse. only spiral. It just makes it worse. Yeah. 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 I mean... The best thing that you can do is just try to be as strong as possible. I know it's hard in some you know situations, and we're all human and we all feel things. Yep. Um, but if it's especially if it's something like an IV, and the and the parents like freaking out, like oh my god, what are you doing and this and that, and I'm like, okay, see so now your kid is just gonna like feed off of that yep. energy, and they're gonna be freaking out, thinking it's a bigger deal than it is. When it's in reality like a two-second thing yeah. and it's going to be done. And, we, and, you know, and you can cuddle them and give them all the praises after and mm-hmm. whatever. But anyways, that's a tangent. Um, so if you're an adult, though, get it together. Stop <laughs> freaking out. Together. Just get it together. <laughs> and every single patient, I swear to God, if I had a dollar for every time, they were like, oh, I just hate needles or I just hate IVs. I'm like, I'd be nobody more concerned if you like that shit. Right. Nobody, nobody likes, likes them. That. Right. Yeah. But we're here, and we have to do what we have to do. Like, don't come to the hospital and act surprised that you're getting an IV. Like, we put IVs in people that don't even fucking need them. Like, it's Dude, ridiculous. Nobody likes the pap smear either, okay? No. Nobody likes it, but, but we do what? it. You know what's worse? Cervical cancer. So, <laughs> right, I, like, right. just, just do it. Suck it up, buttercup. I fucking can't. Um, okay. Also, if you have time to think about it, you know, if you are going to come to the ER for what's likely not an emergency, if you have, you know, time to dwell on it, um, at least pack socks. I want you to pack a phone charger, and I want you to eat something. Yes, because or put for some, some snacks some in your reason, bag. Yeah, for some fucking reason, people come to the hospital. They have no phone charger, mm-hmm. and it was something that they they one hundred percent had time to like. I understand right. if you're having an emer- like a legit emergency, and you don't have time to like get things together. But if you were at home and you're coming in for like vagina pain, um. <laughs> That's probably been there for a while, and you like just had sex, which is <laughs> clearly it doesn't hurt that bad because you're you're still doing it, right? Um, something is off. Something's off. So I'm just gonna need you to come prepared then, because I I, I just please please yes. bring socks. Nobody brings socks. Yep. They all come to the hospital and like, can I have some socks? I'm like, do you have socks at home? Do you not have socks at home? Like you didn't. And we the, didn't think that through. The socks are the worst. The the ones with the scrub, like they're, they're Why not do you want comfortable. Those? They're not even no. no. They're not. They're not no. cute. They're not comfortable. No. And just no. no. <sighs> Pack the charger, please. Because we don't have extra. I don't know why everyone thinks that we have a thousand chargers that are just laying in the nursing station. We don't. We do not. We 
it's not a thing. I don't even bring my own charger to work because it's likely going to disappear. Oh, you would lose it. It wouldn't. Exactly. You wouldn't have it anymore. Bring, right? bring the charger. Bring some right. socks. Please eat something and hydrate because once you come to the hospital, odds are we're going to starve you. Yes, we're going to tell snacks. you we can't have you eat or drink anything until we get lab results because you know in the end of the day we're in the emergency room and if you are having a legitimate emergency, you might need a procedure. That you not can't only, eat or drink for. Not only will they starve you, true story, when I was pregnant and in the hospital for kidney stones, one of the first times I had them, which was super fun, um, the they brought my, my dinner and my OB happened to be in the room and they brought me a turkey sandwich. Yeah. And my OB goes, I'm sorry, is this is this real? And the nurse was like, yeah, why? And she's like, you can't give a pregnant patient deli meat. Like, how are you giving her deli meat right now? That, of all things, you gave a pregnant patient a turkey sandwich? She was like, that's all we have right now. Yeah. And that's the reality. That is mm -hmm. all we fucking have. Mm -hmm. Turkey sandwiches. Mm -hmm. And they're not even tasty. It's not <laughs> boar's head meat, I'll tell you that. No, bring your own, bring your own food Please. for sure. And an eye mask and earplugs. That's yes. my two cents. Oh, because if you end up in the hall, you're going to need both of those. Yeah. Um, oh, this is my personal favorite. Don't threaten to leave because we don't <laughs> care. If you want to fucking leave, I stopped fighting that fight a long time ago. Why is that a punishment, though? Get the why fuck does anyone out. Who's... You know why? Because in the old days, I say this like it's a thousand years ago. I started being a nurse six years ago. And I swear to you, I used to plead with patients like, oh, my God, please don't leave. You know, this and that because you don't want it to, like, look bad on you or, like, look right. bad on the department or the manager or the hospital. And now we're like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Get the fuck out. If you don't want to be here, there's I don't 30 even get people threat, in the lobby though. that do, you know? You're only hurting yourself as the patient. Like, you're not – no one's going to cry and be rational. like – I'm telling you, we deal with people who are completely fucking irrational. Like, they don't feel good and they lose all touch with reality. Like, it's just it, – nothing but makes can sense. You, can you tell the difference now that you've been in this for, you know, several years? Can you tell the difference between a patient who – is literally has no sense of reality and is not going to be reasoned with versus someone who is like that but it's solely because they are scared and vulnerable because there is a difference you can no 100 percent. like there's people that want to leave and their hemoglobin like their blood level is like negative 12 like they have no blood in their body and they're like i'm gonna leave because i've been here for xyz and i'll sit with that person and i'll be like look you very well could go home and die like i'm not playing with you you, you're not well. Like, I understand you don't feel good and you've been here for a long time, but also you've already been here for five hours, so it would behoove you to just go to ahead stay. and stay and yeah. get the transfusion that you need. And if after your transfusion you're like, fuck this, I'm out, fine. That's right. that's your prerogative. You're free to do that and I can't force you to stay. But then there's some people that are like, I'm leaving. And I'm like, goodbye. Here's Bye, your papers. Karen. Good day. <laughs> like, I don't fucking care. So don't threaten me because I don't fucking care. I don't most of the time. Most of the time if you're threatening to leave – it's because you don't need to be there. Um, okay, some of the do's. Do, show me pictures. If you have pictures and you took the time to take a picture of something, like, because mm. um, you thought it was important, I want to see it. Pull it out. Because it probably was important. And it, 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 if you felt like the need, like you needed to take a picture of your bowel movement because it was so bloody... Sometimes I'll just say, like, I take your word for it, but then other times, like... <laughs> like, oh, let me see. Yeah, let me see. Like, I want to see what your idea of a lot of blood is. Like, because some people have a skewed sense of what a lot and what a little... Because they don't fucking right. know. It's blood coming out of their right. asshole. They're like, it shouldn't be there. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. I want to see your pictures. Um, please do treat your fever and your child's fever. We believe you. I believe your kid had a fever. I don't want you to bring your kid here febrile. 
because you mm-hmm. wanted me to see that they had a fever. If you're that concerned that we're not going to believe you, take a picture of the thermometer and let it show 102.3. Like, that's fine. I'm okay with that as long as you gave your kid Tylenol or Motrin after. Mm -hmm. But people will come to the hospital and borderline let their kid have a febrile seizure because they they wanted me to to see see what's going on. That's crazy. And I get it. But please stop doing that. I don't get it. I I do get it because, like, I understand, like, it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, well, the kid doesn't have a fever now. But... If they can see and they believe, it's but wouldn't it's... it be wouldn't it be just as easy to say she had one hundred and two point three fever? I gave her Motrin at five. Right now it's down. Like, wouldn't that be more of a logical thing? That's logical and reasonable. But we've already talked about right, right. You're right. The My lack bad. of logic My and bad. reason sometimes. I don't get it, but. Um, but what happens is that a lot of parents will be like, yeah, my kid had a fever. Okay, what was the temperature? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I just, like, touched her forehead. So you you have people like that who Got don't it. really take a temperature. And then, like, well, was your kid really febrile? But then it's like, but then they're not febrile here. So it's like, did they have a fever at all? And then in those cases, it's like, I'd really prefer you just take the temperature and just, yeah, you can tell me. It was 101 point whatever. I gave whatever. And so now she doesn't have a fever. That's great. I, I believe you. Have a list of your meds and oh, your medical problems. Please, if you have a lot of them and you can't remember them because you don't feel good, write it all down. Have it in a notepad in your phone so you never lose it. You always have your phone with you, like, pretty That's much all really the time. That's a really good point. So just have it written down. Like, I'm a nurse. I have my shit written down because sometimes you forget. Like, you don't mm-hmm. feel good. You're like... You're like, oh, shit, yeah, I had that brain surgery. Like, yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Like, you should <laughs> probably let – I swear to God, I know, your hysterectomies but I see and your C-sections are a big deal. I can't tell you how many women I've been like, any surgeries in the past? They're like, no. And I go, well, I see here you had three C-sections. They're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, that's a major abdominal surgery. Like, you forget. So big you, and you, but you, you forget. Do. You so do forget. Write that shit down. You do forget. I want to know when you had your last period. Come prepared to tell me that. Tell me, I never like, know that. It's I know. so bad. Get, I never whip know the that. app out. Be ready because I'm going <laughs> to ask it. It's going to be one of the first things I ask. I, I want to know. So just be prepared and let me know. Um, and the other thing, the last thing that we do want you to do is please ask questions. I don't want you to feel like you can't ask questions. No question. I won't say that no question is stupid because some of them are pretty fucking stupid. But I would rather you ask <laughs> and me be able to put you at ease then you don't ask and you have no fucking clue what's going on. Just ask. It's okay. It's okay for you. I, I don't want you to tell me how to push your meds, but I'm okay with you asking me what I'm giving you, right. what the side effects are. I'm okay with all that because sometimes, again, like I said, I go through the motions. I become a little robotic and I forget to explain things. Just ask. It's okay. Right. We're happy to answer your questions. But it's all good. It's, they're all good tips. I just have one. I have one as the patient to to the medical professionals. Please. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Just, just don't be a dick. And I'm, I don't say that in a way like you're like, again, you're not allowed to be a human and have a bad day. But just remember that on the patient side, we're petrified, we're scared, we'll, we'll, we are vulnerable. And taking the crazy patients who are legitimate, legitimately just making your life miserable and nothing, there's no emergent situation, take them out of the equation for a second. The people who are are really based in logic who you can reason with just want to be heard and they just want to be treated with kindness and they just want to be validated and that's it so just don't just like in life I tell my kids well my older one I just say don't be a dick just don't be a dick be a nice person be a nice human yeah that's it that's it 
It goes both ways. It takes yep. two to tango. Just, yes. just be nice. Just be nice. And at the end of the day, like, if you can't be nice and you are a nurse, let's say, even, and you are finding yourself just being mean, I have two suggestions. <laughs> Actually, I have three. One is transfer to a different unit. You might just be burnt out by your patient population. Like, honestly, mm. I'm fucking exhausted from the ER. It's exhausting, but it's, like, one of those things that's, like, I'm exhausted by, but I also secretly love. Like, I'm mm-hmm. a little sadistic. I can see that. Yeah. Like, I love it, but I hate it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, when I have a high acuity day, when I have patients that are really sick, that I get to do, like, all the things I love, like, it's kind of sick, but, like, the sicker my patients are, like, it's a good day for me. Like, I got to do my job. You know what I mean? Right. I not because do... they were not because they were sick, right, but you but... got to make a real impact and help people and save exactly. lives. And Right. Like, someone got hit by a car and they fucking lived because we were there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And we were taking care of them. And there's something really fulfilling about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's days where I'm like, everyone's an asshole. And I fucking, like, why am I doing this to myself? Okay. So my suggestion is go to a different unit. Like, for example, like I said, NICU has always been my backup unit. I'm like, if I can't do this shit anymore, I will go to the NICU. And I think you just can't be upset with babies. I feel like you just can't be angry. You can be angry, I think, at the parents for being assholes maybe, but... Even with the parents, I'm going to tell you that I delivered my second baby at the same hospital where I had the kidney stone situation. And I had the baby first. It was like being in two different hospitals, Mm -hmm. being in the ER. And I'm sure this is true for most hospitals. Being in the ER, I felt like I was in a war zone on that day. It was a horrible day. Horrible day. Yeah. On when the baseline is already horrible. Right. The labor and delivery, there is something magical about labor and delivery nurses. There really is. I know. It's a different environment. I have never in my life had the kind of care from a nurse that I had in the labor and delivery unit. And it wasn't just because they were happy because they were around babies. It was a different level of care. And maybe it's because they know that women are delivering babies and in a heightened state of emotion and they're scared and they're excited and feeling all these things. And so, yes, it's mostly happiness, but things can also go wrong. But right. you're you're caring for someone who's doing something pretty incredible. Right. You know? And I think that's the difference is that's why I'm saying, like, if you find yourself unhappy in whatever unit you're in, I, I suggest you do you go and do the polar opposite. Switch it up. Switch, Switch it, up. it up. Go to the NICU. Go to labor and delivery. Like, I swear to God, like, when I saw a baby be born for the first time when I was on my rotations, I broke down in tears. Like, I'm not a crier, but it was just something so amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I mean, it's incredible, and it's – I couldn't I, – I, I know there's labor and delivery nurses out there that are listening. They're like, yo, I'm fucking tired. I'm fucking done with this <laughs> shit. And that's fine. Right. Everyone's tired. Everyone's got their thing, and yeah. everyone's been doing something for a certain period of time. And, and it's natural to get, I think, burnt out by things. Sure. Um, especially now. Like, it's just it's, – we're just in unprecedented times, and it's, it's emotionally exhausting, like, for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, switch it up. That's my first suggestion. Switch it up. Go to LMB. It's a good one. Bring babies into the world. Go to the NICU and watch these babies get better. And, you know, sometimes things are sad. Like, bad things happen in labor and delivery. Like, you have, you know, tragedy. You have loss. But that's you have everywhere. Grieving. That's in any... But that's everywhere. Any, yeah. In the NICU. Yeah. Maybe babies don't get better. But, like, I feel like most of the time, you're watching people improve, you know? Whereas yeah. in the ER, I feel like... I mean, we watch miracles happen, but... 
I think it's just more, I think the ER it always feels more dire because yeah, it is because it hello, is. It's the emergency People room. People aren't so there because they want to be. We already talked no, about that. It's like a labor and delivery, tone. you're there because you want to be. You want to get that right. baby out. You know what right. I mean? Like it's just, you're, you're not even going to the hospital for the same reason. Right. So the environment right. is different. So switch your vibe. Go do something yeah. else. Yeah. As That's the beautiful thing about being a nurse, guys, is you can go do like whatever the fuck you want. You could literally go. I could be in NICU tomorrow, like nothing fucking happened. Get trained, be a nurse in NICU, be done. I could go work on a clinic and like do whatever. It doesn't matter. You can go do whatever. There's something out there for you. You don't have to like stop being a nurse. But if you are one of those people like Rachel had that's just a fucking asshole, (laughs) then maybe you legit, maybe you just got into the wrong line of work. Like you didn't know what you were getting yourself into. You're not, this isn't for you and that's okay. Do some soul searching. Yeah. Yeah. Do some soul searching. Take a step back. Um, Even if it is your thing and you've become so emotionally exhausted by your job, because I think even especially now, during pandemic times, like even firefighters, people that are just really on like in First the fucking trenches, yeah. like that shit, it, 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 it affects you, whether mm-hmm. it affects you right now or you're an emotion stuffer and it affects you later down the road, mm-hmm. eventually it's going to come up and you have to deal with it. And, and maybe you need to just take a step back. Maybe it's not because you're an asshole and you hate people. Maybe it's because you care for people so much that you need to take a step back for yourself because you've got mm-hmm. nothing left to give for yourself or anyone else. And, that happens too. Or go do travel nursing. Go make a fuck ton of money. I really feel like if nurses <laughs> were making more and they felt yeah. valuable, you would hate your job a lot less. Like, yeah. I, no lie. Like, when you're making 10000 a week, I'll, pff, I don't give a fuck. Well, you everyone can... likes different things, though. You And that's what you're saying about switching things up. You, you may go into something like you would in any profession, not just nursing. You may in your head think, this is exactly what I want to do because on paper – it sounds good right. to me. And then you get there and you hate it and it sucks. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I love being a nurse, but maybe this is not the spot for me. Like, that's yeah. it. There's nothing, there's no shame in that at no. all. It's fine. I suggest <clears throat> you do whatever you're doing for like at least six months to a year because I feel like you're going to feel incompetent and like you hate it for like that amount of time because it takes that amount of time to get good or Well, there's nothing proficient. easy. No, there's it's not easy. easy. About like nursing. you're going to take time. Right. But if after six months to a year, you're like, yeah, I fucking hate this, then like, listen to yourself. Like, you fucking hate it. Move on. You don't have to be miserable. Like, nothing is worth your mental health. And that goes with anything in life. It's not even just with nurses. Like, nothing is worth your mental health. So if you're listening and you're not a nurse and you're, you know, a member of the community who's doing whatever you're doing, if it's not making you happy, go fucking do something else. You can you can you can do that preach do it you do you like life is too short to be like worried about what everyone thinks and worried about this and that like my husband like we're 30 and he's always so worried about what other people think about him I go who fucking cares you you be happy with you forget how young you guys are you're 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 such (sighs) such spring chickens I'm like, who fucking cares? I don't fucking care. Like, I could get, I, I'm not a people pleaser. Like, I don't really fucking care. Like, if you don't like whatever, I'm not here. I don't live my life for you. I live my life for myself. Right. That's it. So if you don't like it, that's fine. Maybe I'm not for you. That's it. Like, 
I tell him all the time. I said, do you live your life for you? Don't mm-hmm. don't do something because you think it's going to make me happy or whoever or you think it's going to fit you into some box. Do what makes you happy. And that's all that fucking matters. Because at the end of the day, you have to live with yourself and your decisions and you are responsible for your own happiness. Nobody else. I think you just gave a TED talk. I thank sure. you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> like, if you're one of those people out there and you're living your life to make somebody else fucking happy or because you think it's what they want you to do, fuck all that shit. Do you. Do you. Do you. Just don't be an asshole. That's all. Don't be an asshole. And with that, I just want to say this to you as my closing statement of sorts. I love nurses. I think you are all amazing. I think it takes a really special person to put themselves in the trenches to take care of other people in that respect. Honestly, like I I could not do it. And I think I'm one strong, badass mama, but I could not ever be a nurse. I love all nurses except for the two that really ruined my (laughs) kidney stone experience. They can both go to hell. But I I do. Everyone else though. I love nurses. I respect nurses. I know that it's not easy in general and especially right now. And um, I want you to know that me and so many other people do appreciate everything you do, even if sometimes as patients we can be pains in the asses. It comes from a place of fear and vulnerability. And I think if we could just, in those experiences together, see more eye to eye and communicate and be kind to each other, I think it would be such a different experience. Here, here. I agree. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Thanks for dealing with the echoes, the stop and go. I mean. We did it, though. We did it. We made it. We did, we did it. it. Doesn't matter how we got here. No. And I think um, we will we will follow this up with another podcast of um, some common questions or concerns yes. or whatever from people that you've always wanted to know um like the things you ask in facebook moms groups that you have no business asking other mothers that you should be asking medical professionals i want you to save those questions and and i'll share them with yes please (laughs) because when moms there's nothing fucking that triggers me more moms i love you guys you guys are like you said super human like i am not a mom and like if i ever do become a mom like i I can't even like it's so hard. You yeah. guys are blessed angels. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine having one of me and having to deal with me. Like fuck. Yeah. My mom yeah. is an angel. She she is. God bless that woman. She's she's a way better human than I am. Just for even <laughs> dealing with me, honestly. For, for just for, for raising me and not killing me. Yeah. Like. Stop doing quote research. <laughs> And then Google. posting your fucking quote Don't. research it's so as bad. It's like so fact. Bad. Please. Please stop that. If so you're doing bad. that, I need you to stop immediately. Yeah. Ask. Just stop it. Just ask somebody who actually, like, knows. Just stop it. You have access to, you have a pediatrician, you have a general <laughs> practitioner, you have people. You have you a lot of resources. To, you have a lot of people. This is not like the 1900s. You have a lot of people. Thank you for that. Yes. You're oh welcome. Oh, my God. Love you so much. I love you. <laughs> All right, Rachel. Well, thanks for joining us. Um... All of you that are listening, God bless you if you still are. (laughs) (laughs) It was a doozy. It was a doozy. Thanks for joining us. I mean, it's Sunday night, guys. Like, we're just doing our best. Okay? (laughs) All right. I'm recording another clip. Just speak as you would. As I would? As you would.
it's like we're recording multiple episodes. We're actually, I think, what's happening is we're we're recording a whole season. We are we're on our of fifth the episode. the Bro Nurse podcast. Okay, we're on our nineteenth season of the Bro Nurse podcast with Rachel, for the ninetieth time, recording a clip to see if this fucking works. This is our final attempt. My decibels are negative twelve. There's nothing else I can do. I feel like. It's a Hail Mary. It is a Hail Mary. Please, God. Please. I need an entire bottle of Xanax at this point. I. Okay.